Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello everyone, it is, we're going to go ahead and generously say 325 on Sunday, January the 3rd, 2021, and it's time for this, the momentous occasion of the 100th trip down the homeward path, and I'm lying to you right now because I'm not driving anywhere, I'm sitting at the house, because it's Sunday and I'm off work and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> my name is Adam, and I got a few questions for you. Are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? I mean, I really, really hope so, since you're taking the time out of whatever daily routine you have to listen to this show about Magic the Gathering. But do you have other commitments in your life? Maybe a partner, a spouse, a job, a career, children? I don't know if we know anybody like that. Oh, yeah, not at all. You hear that, right? That would be one of my prior commitments. Everyone... My wife, Sarah, has graciously decided to join me for this week's episode of the podcast. Probably the first and only time. <laughs> oh, come on. It's fine. She's nervous. We have to We have to be nice. Y'all don't be mean to me in the comments, okay? <laughs> I've literally never gotten a video comment, if that makes you feel any better. Well, you probably will with me on there. <laughs> Almost certainly overwhelmingly positive because it's not just me talking. Oh. <laughs> But again, do you, like me, obviously now, <laughs> have uh, other commitments in your life that take precedence over your magical, what's the word I'm looking for here, machinations? Despite all of that, are you still interested in trying to improve? Well, I mean, if that sounds like something you're into, then... I guess you should probably stick around. I don't have a joke for this one. As we transition into segment one, before I can do that, though, i got to give you a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor is PureMTGO.com. They're one of the largest depositories of magic content on the web. They've got something for literally everybody from Popper, Commander, every 60-card format, and a whole bunch of theory stuff mixed in. They've got you covered while you're browsing the web, you can check out their sponsor at MTGO Traders. They're who I prefer to use, even without taking sponsorship into account, for Magic Online vending. And don't forget to check out the uh, parent network, ConstructedCriticism.com. Wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. So, you know, thanks, Spencer. <laughs> Got to shout that out. And if you want to support me in a more direct fashion, patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg is where you can do that. This show is always going to be free, but if you like what we're doing enough to help us keep doing it, head over there, kick in a little bit, and try your best to ignore the train sirens. <laughs> As we transition into our first segment, Brew of the Week, and this one's a very special one because this is all your baby. Yep, it's all mine. My uh, crazy brain. <laughs> we sat down one day. She says, I want to play Popper. I said, okay. I'll, I have one Popper deck. She says, well, let me build one. I said, well, I've got all this stuff for 
for this deck, I've got like parts of five or six different decks, but I don't have another complete one. And you said, give me the box and let me figure it out. I basically said, give me the box and leave me alone. Yep, yes, you did. You really did. <laughs> Every time I tried to walk in the room, I said, get out! <laughs> I did not. No. You just pointed in the other direction. <laughs> I said you weren't allowed to touch it until I was done. <laughs> but the end result was something a little bit unusual. It was a mono black. Now, when I say mono black and pauper, very specific things come to people's mind. Crypt Rats, Oubliette, uh, Grey Merchant of Asphodel, or as I've lovingly, and in your case, hatefully referred to him as Gary. I hate Gary. <laughs> Spencer, you've got a fan. <laughs> but, you know, those, you know, Pestilence, stuff like that, that put a bunch of mana symbols on the table and just take massive chunks out of your opponent's life total and otherwise just kind of try to stem the bleeding. That's the first thing, first thing that comes to the average Magic player's mind when they think about Mono Black and Pauper. That is not what came to your mind. Nope. So, what were you thinking about when you built this? Because I don't. I want to reserve my opinion for after you, after your thought process. Okay. So my literal thought process was that I wanted to do a vampire popper deck, but then I realized there was not enough vampires in the popper format to actually do completely vampires. A little bit of background story. I'm a huge vampire fan. Pretty much every vampire movie ever made, I have seen. Good or bad? I mean, yeah, <laughs> mostly bad, but a lot of good. So I wanted to carry that theme into the deck, and I realized that I couldn't do that because there wasn't enough. So I started picking things out and went through, and I think I found. I'm still looking. We got we have the deck sitting in front of us and I tried to lay stuff out, but I don't think I think you are actually all vampires. Well I at one point I had some pirates or something in there as well. Um we obviously have tweaked it over the last few months and I think we've actually managed to push it fully into an actual vampire deck. But that was it. So that was literally my thought process. I just wanted a vampire popper deck. <laughs> well, the thing that's really funny is now those of you who don't know, Sarah is not supremely competitively invested, and that's not a bad thing to say. But it means she doesn't do a lot of studying, doesn't know what a lot of common card choices look like. So and Okay, to be fair, I don't do any studying. Everything I know is literally from you rambling on to me. This is true. I think I just, like, it seeps into my head while you're rambling because I usually only about half listen to what you're saying. <laughs> to be fair, that's probably about half the audience, too. But, <laughs> but I mean, some of these strategies have obviously over the last 16 years <laughs> seeped, <laughs> seeped into my brain. <laughs> and whether I know it or not, I think I'm actually using some of them when I built this. So... For my analysis of it, for from my perspective as the person who's been getting my teeth kicked in by it on several occasions, there's a lot of what I would lovingly refer to as my my original word choice was accidental brilliance, and I know that's not a good one because it feels like a backhanded compliment, so we'll call it intuition in deck building decisions. 
because there are some very good cards in here, and I had no input in that whatsoever. Uh, cards like Unearth, returning a creature from the graveyard to the battlefield with converted mana cost three or less. The removal suite of, as it was originally constructed, it was Disfigure, Grasp of, Dark, Grasp of Darkness, Tendrils of Corruption, and Quag Sickness. Uh, if it were updated today, it would probably be Defile over the Disfigure, maybe over some of the Quag Sicknesses, and then... The rest of it would probably stay about the same. Maybe cast down over Grasp of Darkness just because it's a little more reliable. But then there's a card like Mark of the Vampire that gives Enchanted Creature plus two plus two and lifelink. And it feels like a limited all-star and not something you should be playing in Constructed until you're getting your face smashed in by a stupid little 1-1 one -one Dusk Legion Zealot that suddenly took to the sky. So it's one of those things like... The way I thought about it was if it was actual vampires, like if it was a D&D &D campaign and you had actual vampires on the field, you wanted them to be as buff as possible to try to actually defeat what you were fighting. Do you even bloodlet, bro? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got, you know, limited all-stars here in Goldraz Vampire, Vampire Neonate, Quag Vampires, Dusk Legion, Zealot, Sky March Bloodletter, and Child of Night. Along with... Just what I would refer to as curve filler tribal in Queen's Bay Soldier and Vampire Noble that are just power and toughness for mana that have the vampire type. And obviously it's pauper, so we don't have lords because we're not playing slivers. But there's a lot of that kind of incidental, intuitive decision-making here because one of the best cards for removal spells in pauper is Ghastly Demise. Ghastly Demise destroys target non-black creature whose toughness is less than or equal to the number of cards in my graveyard. Which I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> I had no idea it even existed, no idea to... But conveniently, Ghastly Demise kills absolutely nothing in this deck. Because every one of the creatures is black. Accidental <laughs> uh, brilliance. A card like, like Skymarch Bloodletter <laughs> seems kind of embarrassing on the surface it's a three mana two two flying and dings your opponent for one on the way in you gain one life but that two power and flying makes it a little bit of a nightmare for the people still clinging to their delvers of secrets like myself <laughs> insectile aberration wants no part of that fight because it does not want to trade with that card <laughs> and if i can't ghastly demise it and i can't swing through it <laughs> To say nothing of what happens when, you know, a double-kicked Quag Vampires picks up that Mark of the Vampire and goes to the sky with four power or whatever. And then one of the more interesting decisions was the card Macabre Waltz. Yeah, I don't remember why I picked that card. I think uh, it was just because it was black and it kind of fit in with everything else. <laughs> again, intuitive because it's a way to get back these creatures that are kind of mopey on their own but when you keep bringing them back in multiples they can just frustrate you to death and that is i mean it's not a backhanded compliment to say that's kind of what this deck does yeah, it just I appreciate frustrates people to death. Way I can get them. <laughs> and in particular one of my favorite mechanics is actually present here because of Gouldra's vampire the mechanic is uh, as long as an opponent has 10 or less life, this thing gets some kind of ability. In this case, it gets plus two, plus one, and has Intimidate. 
So it's like a Delver of Secrets, but instead of needing cards on top of your library to fall the right way to get evasive, you just got to be punching your opponent in the face. And there are a few things that coincide with the way I've known you to play Magic over the years than you getting paid off for punching your opponent in the face. <laughs> that and the fact that as we're both fans of D&D, it's bloodied. Yep. Because it's half their health. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that wraps up the segment on Mono Black Aggro. Uh, for the exact list, tough. We're probably going to be changing it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> More than so, likely. I would like to move on now. Instead of what would normally be our our first segment would normally be the budget spotlight, but I didn't want to bother with that this week. And our second segment would be Brew of the Week. Our second segment is instead going to tell our magical history in the form of sort of an interview. So most of mine has been pretty well chronicled over the course of the last 99 episodes. So for those of you who know, who, who have not heard, I was introduced to Magic in 2004, in the fall of 2004, just before Champions of Come and Go were released. When I was still interested in boy bands. Ugh. <laughs> Offended when I see boy bands, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was, I was introduced in 2004 by my best friend Brett and other kids at high school that were playing at the breakfast tables. At the time, I had been pretty heavily involved in playing Yu-Gi-Oh!, and I was I was really excited about the prospect of playing a card game with people, but nobody wanted to play the one I knew how to play. So Brett convinced me to go pick up a theme deck. I went to Walmart, talked my parents into buying me the $10 Way of the Warrior theme deck from Champions of Kamigawa. Which I'm a thousand percent was not that hard because his mom would have done anything for him in high school. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> If it Mostly. was if it was towards academics, yes, but towards recreation, it was like twenty dollars and under. You would have had it. It was in the still pocket. a fight, but I picked this thing up and it was like mono white samurai. It was like one of the worst mechanics ever as a focal point because it's my creatures get bigger as long as they're involved in blocking. And anybody who's ever played a beatdown deck at a competitive level knows having your thing be good be contingent upon blocking being involved means you're not doing well. So. Well, my whole introduction to magic was in high school. I saw people playing it at my school and it looked really dumb and I was completely uninterested. And upon hanging out with Adam, I think it was at Chan's, wasn't it? No, it was. You actually came by the house one day. Oh, that's right. Brett had Brett had come home with me, and we were playing, and you showed up. On, it was trying I was to completely me. bored to tears. I remember you that. You were surprising me. <laughs> <laughs> I was also completely bored to tears because they were playing Magic, and I was just sitting there watching what they were doing, having absolutely no clue what was going on because I hadn't shown any interest up to this point. Asked them what they were doing. And they said, oh, here, let me show you. And it, the rain of cards started. <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't been all bad, though. Well, I didn't say it had been bad. I was just saying that's what started it. Now, from there, we we had, we had some, some good and some bad with some of the people that were at the local game store. But really, our first taste of competitive play is kind of where 
is where the differences start to split in our philosophies regarding the game. So my first one was a Friday Night Magic tournament in Jackson, Tennessee with my then friends, Stephen, Justin, Matt, and Chase. Chase drove everybody, and I ended up getting paired against him in the first round of the event. And to give you an idea of how god-awful these tournaments were run back then, it was a single elimination FNM. So if you lost, you were done. $5 entry, we drove 40 miles to the LGS to play. And I lost in the first round to the guy that I rode with. I would have been so mad. I was. I was furious. <laughs> but it lit the fire in me. I was like, I refuse to let that be my lasting legacy in any sort of tournament play. Yours, on the other hand, was a much more interesting... Event. See, I don't remember that much about mine because it was 17 years ago. It has been a while. <laughs> I remember I was playing against Matt and I was playing a blue deck. Was that was that was the one you were referencing, right? No, it was no. I think that one was just that's the only that one. That's the, the only one I remember. So <laughs> your first one, uh, we went, and you were playing this like cobbled together thing that I had f I just found cards for yeah. because you needed a deck and I only had cards for like two decks maximum at any given time in high See, school. See, thank goodness Adam's in this relationship because if it was anybody else without that steel trap brain of his, I would never remember anything. I remember <laughs> everything that is useless to remember. It's the key <laughs> thing in this relationship. If, if my brain useless, doesn't need it, whoop, it's gone. It goes into this one. Uh, <laughs> but... We went together, and then we ran into Matt after we got there, and you actually ended up playing him in round one. And I have vivid memories of it, because Matt saw you on the pairings and was like, I'm sorry. And he's, you know, he's, he's really macho, really talking it up, and then you smashed his face in. In your <laughs> See, first I time. don't remember that at all. Because he was the, the, the brilliant, brilliant human being that decided to play a four-color deck with no non-basic lands in it at an FNM <laughs> because we were psychopaths. <laughs> I was also playing a four-color deck with no non-basic lands, but to be fair, that was the whole point of mine. <laughs> well, I needed basic lands to untap with early harvest. <laughs> But your first tournament game you ever played, you won. So in that regard, you did better than I did. I had a good teacher. Uh, you can you can flatter me all you want. It will get you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously been working. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as first competitive success, where and when I say competitive success, I don't mean like. Grand Prix Top 8. Competitive success is whatever you make of it. And in our case, it was getting something back for the entry fee that we put in. <laughs> for the first time in forever. Yours was not that long ago. Nope. But for a little bit of context, it was the what, third tournament you've ever played. I think so. It was that first F&M. I, I, I know for a fact you never played one when we were in North Dakota. No. And then you played that 1K. Yeah. So that was your second, and then you played the FNM last, not uh, summer 2019. Yeah. And you did it with a deck that we had played like three times before the event, 
and you went in and you got your first ever cash finish in your third ever tournament mm -hmm. with long stretches of either not playing at all or barely playing in the middle, mainly playing casual commander stuff. You just like come out of nowhere, smack somebody in the face and go home. It was, it's wonderful. I love it. It's like a jack in the box. You pop up, go, well, bam, <laughs> gone. <laughs> Mine was, ironically enough, your first event. Because while you were smashing Matt's face in, I was dodging persecutes from French's black-white deck that would have otherwise demolished me. And then I, the next round featured one of like my most memorable magic moments, which was... Uh, when the guy got so mad, he got kicked out of the store afterwards <laughs> because this scrubby little piece of words I can't say on this show decided to beat him in a, a card game tournament in Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah, how dare you? How how could I possibly? Shame! Evil! Shame! And then I ended up getting my teeth kicked in by the gruel deck because I stumbled and sputtered and couldn't kill him. <laughs> that always seems to be what we do, though. We either do really, really good the first couple of games, and then we're just, our deck just goes, Ugh, uh, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm done. Or we do really bad in the first couple, and then, like, the last couple, it's like, Hey, guess what? I can win this. Yay! <laughs> That's only happened to me twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as a favorite magic memory, I'm going to go first on that one, because... You know, my, my first competitive success was her first event, and my favorite magic memory was her first competitive success because of just the sheer elation this woman had <laughs> to finally getting something back out of even the most minuscule amount of work she'd put into this game. Well, to be fair, that I think that was the third FNM or the third like actual competitive event that we'd had we'd had a couple that were not necessarily competitive but we'd put money in yeah um and that was the first time that we ever actually i personally ever yeah. got anything back yeah and to top it off i thought i was going to be last place because the few times we put money up I always <laughs> was in, if we had an eight-person pod that was that was doing the uh, competition, tournament, whatever, I always ended up between sixth and eighth place. And I know someone has to be last, but I don't want you it got to be tired me. of it being there, and I understand. <laughs> but the, for context, we were playing Pioneer, and the deck she was playing was Gruel Blitz, and she got to just... She got to just sit down, look at her opening hand, and go, huh, well, this kills you. <laughs> this kills you on turn four. <laughs> I guess all that blabbing you kept doing in my ear going, well, this does this, and that does that, and that, and that. Finally actually sunk into my pea brain <laughs> and um, went, hey, ding. Well, the, the, when I told you my nickname for the deck, it just kind of clicked. I called it Sideways Tribal, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, whatever little connections in my brain were like, got it. <laughs> now, your favorite magic memory would would tops basically anything I've ever heard anybody because it was what we did in lieu of tradition 
at your junior prom. Yeah, it's <laughs> the only prom we went to. Side story, backstory, whatever. So, junior prom was the only one we got to go to because my senior year, my crazy family decided that we had to move to North Dakota. It's cold up there. It was very cold up there. Not much else. It's cold, flat, and sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's trees off in the distance, but the closer you get, the further they get away. <laughs> anyway, so that was senior year. So junior year was the only year we ever went to prom. We got there. All the quote-unquote cool kids were on the floor doing dumb dances and everything. And I walked in, and I looked at the floor of the sea of teenage bodies shaking their groove thing and i was like god this is stupid why are we here but my mother had insisted we had to go to prom because we're we're gonna be so sad if we didn't go and i really wish i would have just taken the 400 dollars that it took for the tickets in my dress and just bought more magic cards <laughs> or something because that would have been a better investment so she she looks at me and says can we do anything other than stand up there and dance i'm like well i, I left my backpack in the car it's got my cards in it and she's like go get them <laughs> <laughs> so we sat there after paying 150 <laughs> well my mother paid 150 dollars for prom tickets because she was like you have to go if you don't go you're going to be upset about it for the rest it. of your life i'm like no i really won't but okay <laughs> <laughs> so i went out to the car and Got my backpack, and we sat there in the middle of the crowd of weird, dancey teenagers playing magic. Yeah. And then, like, what, two or three other couples came over and started playing, too? Yep. It was the best thing ever. We and all then, paid, you know, $150 no, collectively to go to prom and play magic. It was the most expensive magic. We, we were dressed ever. to the nines, sitting at a table <laughs> playing cards. Yep. And there were other people, even the the... Weird gyrating teenagers coming over after the fact going, hey, what is that? <laughs> Can we play? No. I don't, go I don't away. have stuff. I don't, I don't have. <laughs> go I, away. Leave me alone. And <laughs> then we then we left the venue. Or she, she finally said, well, if we're going to play Magic, the game shop's right over there. Let's just go over there. <laughs> and we went to the game shop in you, our prom clothes. <laughs> you heard probably about 30 necks snap when that door opened up. Just, <laughs> who are those people? <laughs> 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 I just I, I, I think I love it mainly because just the absurdity of someone showing up dressed to the nines in prom clothes at the game shop <laughs> it's just epic so as far as favorite competitive formats go favorite competitive formats I think what I said popper yeah yeah well, Popper, Popper's my favorite, just regardless, competitive or not. Well, this is true. I mean, it's it has the benefit of being cheap, which is obviously kind of important to the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not that it's cheap. I like that it keeps everyone on a completely level playing field. You can't be like, oh, well, I had $800 to spend on this random deck in my, like, commander my commander costs $500 and there's no way you could ever afford it so I automatically win. Flex! <laughs> and I'm like... I mean... But I like Popper because it's all just everyday cards. It's not... There's nothing in there 
that, you know, cost $500. Or nothing that you're going to say, well, so-and-so had this card, I'll never be able to afford it, so they just automatically win regardless of what I do. And you don't even have to practice with it that much. I mean, there's only so many ways, three or four or five, whatever, abilities that the common cards are going to interact. Yeah, this is true. And the other benefit to it is, I mean, one of the one of the key things for Pauper, you hear a lot of Magic players say Planeswalkers were the biggest design mistake in the history of Magic. You know what's never been printed at Common? Planeswalkers. Yep. You know what's never been printed at Common? A card like Uro. <laughs> Big, dumb, stupid mythic. Like, even in Limited, which is where a lot of other players like to say they're, they're you know, the, the highest skill ceiling resides, you know, it's... Where, where real magic gets played is in 40-card decks. I vividly remember playing the M21 pre-release and having the lead throughout the game, and then my opponent just drops Baneslayer Angel, and I couldn't kill it, and I lost. A big Mythic Angel go burr, and I lost. <laughs> and then the next round, we did the same thing, except this time it was Terror of the Peak. So Big Mythic Dragon goes burr, and I lost. No. <laughs> I well, see, I just, I like that Popper keeps everybody, f it doesn't necessarily matter about skill level. Well, it does, but. I'm, I'm saying necessarily. I mean, you may just kind of luck into a good mechanic. Or play burn and just draw 20 damage right off the rip. Yeah. <laughs> It's a combination of luck, skill, and the fact that you don't need a lot of money to get into it. The barrier to entry is really low. Yes. Which I love. Because, I mean, one of the other things I love about it is it's very specialized. You know your deck, you can play your deck forever. Yeah. As long as well, it's not completely busted. Sorry, I wasn't trying to talk over you. I was going to say, I know in Commander, you've talked a lot about people that have had like thousand dollar decks mm -hmm. you can't do that in popper i mean if you tried really really hard you could if you got like guru lands and foiled out your deck but you don't need to is right. what i'm saying like there's no real competitive advantage that thousand dollar deck is probably good enough to completely just wipe out whoever you play as long as the draws even are if you have all foil lands all foil whatever cards in your popper deck it's based on how you're playing it. Yeah. It's not the cards themselves. It's your skill level combined with the cards that you've picked. And it's all generally going to be under $100 for the deck. Which is not something you can say about most Magic formats. The only one I would argue is anywhere close to it is limited. And then we still run into big stupid mythic problems. So, <laughs> personally, as much as I love Popper, and you know that I do. And Brad knows that I do. <laughs> that that bit was for you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> my my personal favorite format if it, format. If it hasn't become obvious over the last ninety nine episodes, I actually enjoy playing the the mental side of playing standard the most. I hate the financial side of it. It makes zero financial sense to buy in heavily into this format that costs a lot of money when you're only going to get to play with a card for a maximum of two years. Like, I understand the financial no-goes to it, which is why I have gradually been phasing myself out of paper standard and trending toward getting my standard fix on Arena and focusing my paper play on Eternal format. See, I like the standard format, but I hate that it rotates out so quickly. 
Like, you put all this money into having all these cards, and then in two years, everything's going to be rotated out. If it doesn't get power crept out by the next year's sets, like yeah. what happened in 2020. Or they don't just randomly decide to ban things, because why not? Well, they had good reasons to ban them, but it was still frustrating. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons I'm glad I've transitioned away from Paper Standard, because at least if I'd only play it on Arena, I'm not on the hook for the money I spent on Which kind of makes Mava happy. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the mental side of it because I standard, generally speaking, is a very small number of decks I have to play against. So it lets me focus on what turn it is, what card they might have, what spell they're representing. Like, thinking my opponent's plays through in order to make mine, and it feels like it keeps me sharper when I play it. And then the, the last question for the interview segment, as it were, is thoughts on competitive magic. I don't really like it. That's okay, folks. <laughs> That's okay. I like being able to sit around the kitchen table and not have everything all timed out and not have a bunch of people trying to compete with each other, like, you know, head to head, blah, blah, blah. I like big group games. I like um, the camaraderie that comes with it. Every competitive event I've ever been to, whether I was playing or not, usually ended up with people getting mad at each other in some form or fashion because somebody had a better deck or somebody's deck didn't do what they wanted it to do. Somebody got mad. The, affor Just... the aforementioned story of the guy that got so mad when I beat him <laughs> with this four-color combo deck because of this weird sideboard card I decided to play, that he got so angry that he was yelling and screaming obscenities at the top of his lungs and insulting my character, and the store owner kicked him out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's I mean, not every game does that, obviously. Just ones that I've been to, people have to step outside and take a breather because they're getting too amped up. Just, I like the more friendly aspect of not doing competitive and just being around a kitchen table, being around a table in a game store, not involving money. Yeah. Money seems to make people go nuts. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say, personally, one of the more interesting competitive groups I've been in, now this is going to be a weird one because of one of the people involved, but one of our better competitive groups that we've ever played in was the one in North Dakota, because they were competitive, but it was fun. Yeah. Like, we all pushed each other to get better. Day in, day out. But we made it fun. You know, it was... Uh, who's going to get the next draft set? Who's going to, you know... Who's going to... Uh, who's going to have to play the bad deck in two weeks and see if you can do better? You know? <laughs> and... I say one of the people involved because, believe it or not, back then, Trevor Humphreys wasn't a complete pile of subhuman excrement and was actually in that group. We, he was one of, the, one of the figures that we got along with. Now, he was one of the most competitive out of the group, and he was one of the more prone to getting salty if he lost a game he thought he shouldn't have. And I guess that that bore itself out over time after the fact because of, you know, Shufflegate and... Recent events. Well, four or five years ago now. Well, it's recent to me. <laughs> it's happened within the last 16 years, so... Wow, that's fair. <laughs> it's and recent I mean, enough. 
And in our case, like I didn't realize that's who it was for three or four years until I finally saw a picture and I was like, really? <laughs> I don't even remember the dude, so it makes no difference to me, I guess, but no. <laughs> we, 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 we played with the guy and it actually wasn't always, at least wasn't always a bad experience, but that was the, the best iteration of competitive play that I've really gone into. And even the, the Grand Prix that I'd been to. I That's went, all you. I know. <laughs> well, the the first one I went to in Memphis when I only played side events and I was just there to try to help Nick tune. I I enjoyed myself playing in side events and kind of chatting up the, the other people that were playing. And then even when I played the main event Grand Prix the next year, I got to see a couple of really cool decks that I hadn't game planned for and it ended up costing me the event. <laughs> but there were also two really sweet games in the middle of it where me and my opponent and the surrounding area around us just kind of bantered and had a good time. Whether it was lamenting the state of the matchup we were in or just, wow, that was a really cool play. That's, that's sweet. See, I think part of my dislike for the competitive play is I'm not super good with random stranger interaction. <laughs> so... Um, I haven't always been, to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, but you're like a social butterfly. I swear we cannot go anywhere without you finding somebody to talk to about something. And it's usually magic-related or food-related or work-related. Anything, something. He finds somebody to talk to about something no matter where we go. And I'm usually standing there going, uh, Hey, hi, I'm still here. <laughs> One of my favorites being the, the trip to Walmart when... Oh, God. I walked up to buy cards. I was looking at cards, and there was another guy there, and we just started talking. And uh, we stood there and talked for like 10 minutes while I was going through cards. And then we got done. She says, who was that guy? I said, I don't know. <laughs> or we were checking out at Walmart, and there was somebody random. I don't even remember who it was now that was standing over there by the cards. And you're like, I'm going to go talk to him. And I was like, don't. You don't even know what he's looking at. <laughs> He's looking at the magic cards. I'm going to go over there. I'm like, oh, Lord, okay. So I just stood there like a goofball with her groceries. So you went to talk to this random person for like 20 kind of, minutes at the card area. Kind of resigned yourself to 20 minutes of waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for cell phones. <laughs> I could at least Facebook or YouTube or something while I was standing there and he was chatting. I'm a, I'm a chatty Kathy. I can't help it. <laughs> You're chatty Adam is what you are. So transitioning again to our <laughs> transitions are hard, folks. Transitioning to our main topic, which ironically is talking about magic the hard way. So it was, it was a question that was posed on Twitter probably six or seven weeks ago by Adrian Carr and Henry Mildenstein, who said... Something to the effect of, I don't know how people without teams do it. I like, I don't how do you even play magic without a team? And I went, ooh, 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 ooh. I've been doing this for 16 years. <laughs> so what I say when I mean, or what I mean when I say the hard way, I almost said what I say when I mean the hard <laughs> English is a hard language, folks. <laughs> Well, it is a mixture of like 20 languages. It's three so. languages on each other in a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean when I say the hard way is dealing with the following 
three following major problems, which is card availability issues, lack of extra bodies, extra minds involved in the game, and that lending itself to issues with productive playtesting. So you have trouble finding cards, you have trouble finding people to bounce ideas off of, and even when you do, there's not enough of you to come up with good decks. Enter the internet. Well, that's coming up at the end. <laughs> now remember, I started playing in 2004, and I was the internet that I had access to at home was AOL 56K. Yeah. I'm not going to attempt to make that noise. The human mouth is not meant to try to make that noise. <laughs> but in the case of those three factors, it produces for me both an internal and an external effect for, for the aspiring player. The internal effects really only deal with you. And this one, I think, would stick to you as much as anybody, which is issues with confidence. Yeah. That's been because an ongoing issue. <laughs> not, having car not having cards, you know your cards are, at least in your mind, your cards are inferior. I don't have the money to spend on it. I haven't been able to find this card I've been looking for that I really want. I, haven't been, I, just, I don't like the stuff I'm playing with. I don't feel like it's any good. Yeah, we actually left Magic for a little while. Because of that. Because of that. That was a big part in our hiatus. Yeah. And then your losses... The losses start to pile up when you don't have confidence. And they come from both the lack of competitive testing and bad and untuned decks. When your deck's bad, you get your face smashed in, and it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. It's not fun. And when something's not fun, you don't want to keep doing it. Nope. And it makes the game less of a fun activity and more of a perceived slight to your intellect. Because you start feeling dumb when you're like, why can't I figure this out? <laughs> when you real and then you realize that these things like the it what was I had it and I lost it. I hate this brain sometimes. You have the you have less on your your options, then the, you have less options at your disposal than your average opponent that you will run into at any level. And when you don't, it feels like you're cheating somehow. And it's been like one of the hardest things to adjust to the second go around. But I'd argue it typically results in either a toxic level of competitive behavior. Here's looking at this guy, <laughs> uh, which spoiler alert, I was really bad right before I stopped playing the first time. But like at the end of the day, we remember it's it's the same story as the guy that got so mad he got kicked out of the store. We just end up with a bunch of salty Sammies in the room and it's just not good for anybody when this type of behavior is drawn out of somebody or you get the inverse of that, which is somebody who is turned off by competitive play entirely and just never shows up. They come out of hiding once every two years to play a pre-release. And I come out of hiding once every two years to play an FNM, so I mean, I can kind of understand that. <laughs> but I mean, even in the interim, you're more interested in the casual game. You are just yeah. not interested in the competitive play because for so long it hasn't been fun because we just haven't had good cards. Well, it wasn't necessarily that we didn't have good cards. Obviously, the last seven years, it's been kid-related. Somebody had to stay home with the babies. Yeah. Other things are more important, <laughs> as is one of the premises of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but my main issue is that I either 
usually seem to be end up paired against somebody that obviously had some money, much better cards. <laughs> <laughs> or I would end up with somebody that just didn't like to talk. Yeah. Which, of course, I, I like to banter every once in a while. I never would have guessed. And especially up... <laughs> Especially up at the our game store, which is now closed, sadly. Pour one out for gooses, y'all. Yeah. Um, we knew the people up there, so I would talk to them. Like, if it was someplace I hadn't been before, I was usually really timid and meek and didn't want to talk. I was very closed up. <laughs> which, the people that know me are probably like, what? Yeah, that was me. I, I tell people now at work, I'm like, y'all, y'all know I spent, like, three hours on my first day and I didn't say a word and they're like, bull. <laughs> no way. Video or it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I would end up paired against somebody that obviously had a bunch of money, somebody that didn't talk, or somebody that would just ask me random things. They didn't even care about oh what my I gosh, said. I know. They would just ask random things. I, I've been banned from asking how many cards are in her hand. Yes, because... <laughs> One of the events, I think it was a draft, wasn't yeah. it? That we went to, I was paired against this dude who at the beginning, you know, kind of talked back and forth, which was fine. I didn't know him, so I wasn't really, like, talking to him or with him. I would answer his questions, but I wasn't really, like, talking back and forth, you know. But literally every time it went to my turn, I would draw my card, and you can see, because I always have my cards fanned out to where... She doesn't flip cards, folks. I don't I gotta flip win the cards. <laughs> I can't stand that. Anyway, this dude is sitting across the table from me. I am holding my cards fanned so I can see what I've got. I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm fixing to play, Told and you. I hear cards in hand. And I'm just holding it this up many. going, uh... This many. Are you blind? <laughs> if you're blind, I don't mind telling you, but daggum. <laughs> I didn't know they made these cards in Braille. <laughs> so, I, you know, I told him, I think it was five, six, whatever. Played my cards, and he'd say, cards in hand. Literally every time it got real quiet, and I was trying to concentrate on what, what I was saying. So every time I tried to play something, I would lose my train of thought because this... Dude kept saying, cards in hand. It is the living embodiment of the people we hate on Arena for spamming your go or nice or <laughs> your go. The the BM crowd on Arena, but this guy was doing it verbally. Cards, with in, cards hand. in hand? Cards in like, hand. Shut up! She <laughs> almost threw away my first Goose's shirt because it had cards in hand written on the back of it. Yes. <laughs> almost. Now it's going to be a relic. Yeah. So... Not only does it affect people internally, but it also affects how you're perceived by a group that you sit down to play in. Not having access to cards, not having access to good testing, not having access to other people to either borrow cards from or bounce ideas off of to come to a better deck design. You're viewed as a charity case. They're like, oh, he's asking for help. Uh. He doesn't have a team. It's not even, it's not, he doesn't have a team. It's, ah, uh, he's asking for help. And I just, I don't want to give him cards. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, the veterans always seem to have, a, a, people that have been playing for more than 10, 15, whatever years, always seem to have their go-to people. Yeah. The new people always seem to have their go-to people. And then, and there's, then there's us, kind of in the middle, like, we're not really with the 
older crowd. We're not with the younger crowd, but we don't have a team. We are right in the middle. <laughs> we play off each other. Yeah. And then, you know, you get the, the ones that on more than one occasion I've been, I've heard this. Oh, well, you're just not worth helping because you're just not going to, it's it's not going to help me back any. Yeah. You know, you're you're not going to win enough for me to help you out. Like, me me helping you out isn't going to help you win because you're just not good. So, it's not worth my time or my, my effort to find these cards so that you can play a better deck. That's what happened to me at the PTQ in Minneapolis where I had asked for weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. If I could borrow these cards and then they decided at the last minute that they were going to play the decks that used those cards... And they just weren't going to have them for me. And I was going to have to try to figure out how to play Storm on two days notice. It was like the day before. I was going to have to try to figure out how to play Storm on two days notice. Yeah. To Because I couldn't get the cards I wanted to play the deck I'd been actually testing with them. And lo and behold, that deck ended up winning the PTQ. And I was furious for months. Yeah. So, <laughs> and... Along those same lines, you will get the title, and this is one that Brett wears with pride, but you will get the title of the Jank Master. <laughs> You're going to play the nonsense, and it's not any good, so like, I don't need to test with you because it's not going to help me learn my competitive matchups. Yeah. And you've got the people that like rave about knit dicks. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> I, I think I've done an episode on that. So-and-so's done this deck, so this deck is great. Simpsons did it! <laughs> <laughs> you get two, two opposite ends of the spectrum with the net deck debate. Either you are only supposed to do it card for card, or you are only supposed to never look at the internet ever. And <laughs> using the internet as a reference point to come up with your own tuned list is sacrilege to both groups and will get you buried in an avalanche of hateful comments. Then Usually you've got the person. people like me that's like, I'm not looking at anything. We're just going to throw some stuff together. <laughs> But it's worked. So. Intuition. <laughs> and then you have the group that I would refer to, or have I've been referred to in this light too, as the tryhard. Yeah. Where I, I just really so take happened, that as a backhanded compliment. I, I really like. I kind of fell into the best deck in the format a couple of times in the last few years. Uh, in the case of Teamer Energy, where I I built it during the uh, the copycat era. And I played it and I thought it was pretty good, but everybody that I talked to was like, oh, it's horrible. It's not as good as the copycat deck. It's bad. You shouldn't be playing it. I was like, okay, but this is what I got. <laughs> and then lo and behold, they finally banned the copycat combo and I'm playing this deck and smashing people. And they're like, well, you're just playing the best deck, so you're a tryhard. Same thing happened with Mono Blue Tempo. In the, the time frame leading up to Grand Prix, the last Grand Prix I went to, where it was, well, this deck is bad, you shouldn't be playing it, and then all of a sudden I'm playing the best deck in standard, and I'm a tryhard, and I need to branch out and play something else. Like, this is, I've had this deck for six months, <laughs> and it cost me $25, so of course I'm going to keep playing it, because it's paid me off like five times over. <laughs> but I will argue... The, the main thing is it's getting better. Arena and Magic Online helped mitigate a lot of these issues. Like, if I'd had access to reliable online playtesting, 
without having to make a financial commitment to cards, it would have made a huge difference in basically every negative experience I've ever had with the game. Like We were born before our time. We really were. <laughs> the other thing, too, is the paper environment at the LGS level is more casual focused than it's ever been. You don't see that level of like angry, salty, hyper competitive dude showing up at the, the FMs anymore. No, I think it's kind of our area too. It's not just our area because even when we went to the one in South Carolina or I went to the one I didn't go to that one. I know. I don't have those experiences to pull I off of. Know. <laughs> Wasn't for lack of trying, I invited you. <laughs> Somebody had to be with the tearing. I suppose. But the the more casual-focused paper environment, and a lot of this has to do with just the absolute explosion in popularity of the Commander format, where everybody has a Commander deck if they have nothing else in paper. <laughs> and if you don't have one, then I bet Canada would have one for everybody. <laughs> Brian Canada will one day have a Commander uh, 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 enough Commander decks... That if he found a way to transport them, he could supply an entire Grand Prix with Commander Docs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're going to be on the 1,000 this year, I bet, Brian. But uh, that more casual-focused environment makes it a lot easier for a newer player to walk in. This is one of my favorite stories from the, the Murray store. Is We went up, and uh, Nick and myself were playing an F&M there, and this guy came in minutes before... Or, not minutes before, because I wouldn't have had time otherwise, but hours, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half before the event. And he's, I can't make this deck go. I can't make this deck go. I really want to try this thing. I was like, I'll bring it over here. Let's see what we can figure out. And we sat down and using the cards that he had access to and a few commons and uncommons that I had brought with me that I just gave him. We... We fixed, we optimized the deck that he built as much as we could. I didn't want to change what it was doing. I just wanted it to do it better. And he finished like just outside cash that night. And he was ecstatic. That somebody was willing to sit down and not just do it for him, but like take him through thought processes. And I've seen that happening more and more, not just with my direct hand in it, but with other people doing it too. Seeing a lot more one-on-one, -on -one, like, okay, what are you trying to do? You know, trying to get them to ask and answer the most important questions when it comes to building a competitive deck so that the experience of playing it is more rewarding. And even prior, prior to COVID, even the Grand Prix Pro Tour scene was becoming more friendly to the casual player because they had this wonderful event that I know you will want to go to if we ever get to do it again called a Command Fest. Command Fest? Does that not sound glorious? I don't know. Post-COVID, that's kind of scary. Well, fair. <laughs> Anything involving large groups of people post-COVID is still going to be scary. We, we may never want to be around large groups of people again. <laughs> I'm going to be like, ah, get away from me. Viral Hand PTSD. sanitizer, Lysol. <laughs> pump, we'll just, pump, pass. I was going to say it. I was ha. right there. <laughs> I did it first. Whoa. But, you know, command fests and side events and artist showings and, and vendors everywhere. 
It's it's the the event is as much fun without playing the main event as it's ever been. So the fact of the matter is, as rough as it has been over the years, as rough as it was before, it is getting easier than it's ever been because having access to online testing makes it easier to make sure your financial commitments are justified. I wholeheartedly endorse the use of Arena and MTGO to make sure you're getting the right thing before you buy it. I even me. play on Arena sometimes, which is really saying something because I usually don't have time to do anything. <laughs> That's fair. But, I mean, it's it's fun. It's a way to get a bunch of games in in a hurry against a bunch of people you don't have to look at. <laughs> I think subconsciously that has helped me too. Yeah. Because I, I, I build up my confidence playing the decks on there. And then I get down in, in, in paper and I can make my decisions a lot quicker. Because I'm not having to sit there and read the card. I've played <laughs> with it online and I'm like... I know what you do I now. know what this does. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> Got it. So, as, you know, as, as rough as it is now, it used to be an awful lot harder. Uh, there was... There there have been a couple of instances, though, where things have kind of lined up, the stars aligned properly, and even without access, we ended up in the right place, the old broken clock is right twice a day kind of idea, mm -hmm. where, for example, after Time Spiral released, and we got uh, Smallpox and several other cards that were heavily played at the time, Brett and I sat down one day and we were just goofing around, throwing decks together. I was trying to recapture the magic of the Heartbeat deck because I never learn anything from anything that I do. Uh, but uh, he was looking at his, his Solar Flare list and he looked at this card that we'd pulled in the, the Cold Snap pre-release or the Cold Snap release a couple of months before. He'd ended up getting two or three of them in trades and he's like, wait a minute. Uh, this thing lets you play knights out of your graveyard if it's in play. And this Solar Flare deck is all about like dumping cards from the hand of the graveyard to use to reanimate stuff and like kind of mid-rangey valuing your opponent out of the game. And like, what if we just put a bunch of knights in that deck? And then we started working on it. And two weeks later, we'd not looked on any forum to come up with a list and the only difference between our list and two of the state championship winning lists were the lands because we didn't have the good lands. No. But like we had all the good cards. We arrived at the right place without using external stimuli. And that was a rewarding moment for us as people who'd been kind of beaten down by trying to do this the hard way because even doing it the hard way, we ended up in the right place, no. which was really cool. <laughs> so... I guess my, my message to say is I know it's probably, I know it probably sucks. I know it's, I know there's a lot of frustration going around, especially in the current standard format where it seems like you play against one deck in particular, probably seven or eight times for every one that you play against anything else. And which one that, which one it is changes based on the day or the time of day you're playing as rough as it is. As, as difficult as it can be playing against these same decks over and over and over and over and you feel like nothing you work on is going to get better, it will. And if you need to step away, you need to take a break, it's an acceptable thing to do. We did for four years, five years? Five years. 
five years. We switched over to Yu-Gi-Oh of all things. Yeah, and then we remembered how much that sucked and yeah. <laughs> came back. We were like, eh, F this. Magic! <laughs> I, I, I placed an order and she's like, oh, wait, is that for, is this, is this a magic deck? I was like, yeah. She says, oh, thank yeah, <laughs> I was like, God, I'm so tired of playing Yu-Gi-Oh! It, it's different when you don't have to read a whole novel every time you play a card. But well, it, was, it was a lot harder in Yu-Gi-Oh! though to like say, well, this card does this, because if there were other cards out, it did something different. Yeah, it's just a whole other... And while Magic does that, it's not nearly as complicated. Yeah. And now it's got even, even more complicated, so... Do you win on turn one? If you don't, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> Magic takes a little more... There's, there's a little more finesse to Magic. Yu-Gi-Oh! is kind of a blunt instrument. <laughs> yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! is like a baseball bat, whereas Magic's more like a... Scalpel. Yeah. <laughs> but it just, just remember in the back of your mind, as rough as it is, we can get through it, and especially utilizing the online resources at your disposal, it gets a lot easier. I have saved so much money not buying cards based on weird decks I want to build. Yes. And I've also appreciated that too because I told him he could have one 10,000 count monster box or whatever it 5, is. 5,000. Sorry, 5,000 count monster box. If that thing ever starts getting over full, I start purging a collection. I'm trying not to take up whole sections of the house with my cards. <laughs> I love you, Brian. I am not going to have a I'm not going to have a deck building shed. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that kind of wraps up the episode for this week. So if you've got questions, comments, concerns, you can send them to me on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. You can send them to me on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. You can find both of us lurking around the Facebook group, the Homeward Path Finders. And obviously, if you're a patron of the show, you get access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord at $1 per month. At $3 per month, you get your deck bumped to the front of the line for Brew of the Week. And at $5 per month, you get an episode that you co-write with me about your topic. You tell me what we're doing. I figure out how to make it happen. And so. he's really good at my help figuring out how to make things happen. <laughs> so, with that said, it is time. Oh, Lord. It's time for the long-awaited return of the best segment in this, in this show. Because anyone who knows me knows that I love to laugh and I love to make other people laugh. And obviously one of the core tenets of the show is the fact that I'm husband and father of three and the dad jokes fly free all around the house. Someone here can attest to that. Hey, I tell them just as much as you do. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> We're competing on the dad joke access. I am also the dad in this relationship. <laughs> so, uh, it's these are infinitely more fun when I'm not the only one that gets to hear them. And I've read all of these. You have not. Oh, Lord. So you are live reacting. <gasps> Odin, help me. <laughs> we have... A series of them from Shivambot, who's one of the one of the members of the commander. I can't remember the the group, the part of the commander rules group. Anyway, a plus human being. 
Uh, says, did you hear about the plane-wide mourning on Ravnica when Dak Faden died? It was the greatest grief in the multiverse. Oh my god. <laughs> Apparently his... Apparently his family had a lot of trouble sorting out his real estate holdings afterwards as Dak had the greatest fief in the multiverse. No god. <laughs> and what made it so valuable? The interplanar wool trade is Dak had the greatest sheep in the multiverse. <laughs> you could get some amazing hand bl hand woven blankets even for the greatest sleep in the multiverse. <laughs> Y'all, this is gonna make me pass out from shaking my head so much. You're gonna get a gonna get a crick in your neck. We're gonna have yes. to take you to the chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says, "Did you hear that in the bushes? There it is again: the swish of a bushy tail and the pitter patter of nimble paws." So we hope you like squirrels because they're here for the secret versary super drop. And the flavor text. Where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Oh, where is it? I'm trying to find it. Oh, squirrel mob. I barely escaped with my life. At that number, they could take on Emrakul herself. <laughs> oh, God. And brought to which our beloved Brian Canada says. The Emrakul flavor text is nuts. Brian says the Emrakul flavor text is nuts. <laughs> Brian, that's terrible. Spencer says in 2021, the always improving network will consist of the longest running competitive constructed podcast, a limited podcast by one of the best minds in the game. A podcast dedicated to helping players achieve Mythic and showcase them. The number one podcast in Pauper and hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. <laughs> to which I replied with the Sesame Street gif, one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> <laughs> to which Spencer thought wonderful to, to reply with, I know Sam is new here, but he'll get the hang of it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment, but come on, we know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have one from Strictly Better MTG. A dev says, note to self, MTG cooking channel. Magic the slathering. Oh my god. <laughs> Brian Sharp says, when you need to clean up the stack, the battlefield, the graveyard, and the dishes from dinner. Apex Devastator, do it every night. <laughs> Apex Devastator being a 10 drop 10 10 with cascade, 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 cascade. <laughs> Forget doing the dishes, it would just destroy the house. It, it, it's the, the joke is because it says cascade. I know it's not funny for us because we don't have a dishwasher. <laughs> I'm saying because it's a 10 10. Yes, Forget doing the dishes, it would just destroy the house. Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't have to do the dishes. There would be no more dishes. And Brian Sharp also says, given the gap from purchase to shipment of secret layers, do you think we'll see the suspend mechanic in any future sets? I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. No. <laughs> Historically speaking, I guess you could say that Brad Barkley absorbed the competition at the Zendikar Rising Championships because he played blue-white control. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head, y'all. This is I can hear the bones in your neck cracking. This is terrible. Funny. 
but terrible. Says when you put Amitri the ever playful on Distilbane Hydra with Surgeon General Commander in play, what pizza does Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael, and Splinter get? Uh, well, because you have a turtle Hydra, a wombat bat chameleon, <laughs> <laughs> and a nightmare beast. Oh my gosh. But more importantly, if you look at the arts, you got four turtle heads. And a rat. <laughs> Given that in April and May, Strixhaven School of Mages will be released, I wonder if Alice Cooper will be contributing to the trailer. That's terrible. And when we fired up the Discord uh, thread, Spencer put one up for dad jokes. And he said, feel free to use this, Jim, and I'm going to have to zoom in on it. I said, hey, uh, what did Raul Zarek say to Jace after receiving a Christmas gift? Is it Lego? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then he did the husky. Oh, my God. <laughs> said, feel free to use this masterpiece. He says, come on, you got to give us some of your best ones. I said, well, at the time that he put the thread up, I said, it is Simic Week, and the episode title is Combining Assets. I said, I also find it somewhat odd how much fun I'm having with Teamer Obosh these days. Normally these are just I, terrible. These are terrible. Normally I hate it when I can't even. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's somewhat ironic that Guy Ruda can't even seem to make a splash these days. And I mean, barring some kind of extinction event, I'll probably continue to enjoy it. It really cultivates a good play experience. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Y'all, I... We should have done video or something because y'all can't see me shaking my head, but I'm shaking my <laughs> she head. She is trying to hide her face from sound. <laughs> oh my gosh. Brad says, 2020's hit really hit everyone hard. Even Jace picked up a second job at McDonald's. He's now a wielder of McFlurries. Oh my God. Saw <laughs> Tamio working for UPS as a collector of mails. Where do you purchase a mall of the Skyclaves? At the Mall of the Skyclaves. Oh my god, really? <laughs> Why is Domri so focused on aggro? Because he's totally out of control. Oh my gosh. Want to know why competitive magic results never upset Brad? Because, I've ne because he's never met a game he didn't like. Scrolling through a dating app when I saw a profile for Atog. Thought it was weird at first, but then I realized it was just looking for a good fling. So is Storm Herald. I'm going to die. <laughs> You're going to kill me with these dad jokes. My soul... Maybe a little neck snapping will jog your sense of humor. <laughs> my soul will leave my body. Playing, uh, playing blue-black rogues is fine until you get to Demir match. I want to make a white-red deck, but I'll need to borrow some equipment cards. Knock, knock. Who's there? Memory lapse. Memory lapse. Just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that better be the end of it. One more. Oh my gosh. My least favorite dinosaur is the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because it's so judgmental. Oh my gosh. This is hurting. This is physically it hurting hurts my body. Your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
that's all we've got for this week, everybody. Thanks again for everybody who contributed to the dad jokes. I know somebody needed a laugh as we're on the eve of something that is very, 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 very stressful. So, thank you for joining in. You're welcome. <laughs> Wasn't so bad, was it? No. Okay. Probably not doing it again, but it was not that at bad. At least not for a while. Maybe yeah. at 200. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'll, I'll consider it. More patrons, and I'll consider it. Oh, we're going to play hardball with them. Okay. <laughs> but with that, I will leave the way that I do every week. Everybody's got stuff going on right now. There's Everybody is dealing with a lot between pandemic, the existential quagmire of American politics, and just life in general in 2020. So when we're interacting with each other online, I like to keep, whether online or in person, I like to keep the words of Peter Capaldi's incarnation of the doctor in mind. Never be cruel. Never be cowardly. Remember that hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So laugh hard, stay improving, and be kind. And we'll catch you later.